Hi, I'm John Morgo, one of the last three guys to a podcast. We've switched our platform to Anchor. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. It's free. They'll help you produce and record your podcast. They'll also help distribute it, get you on Spotify, iTunes, and all the rest. And you can make money from it, even without any listeners. It really is a great deal. So join us. Download the software at anchor.fm and click to get started. And and be with us, the last three guys do a podcast on Anchor. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you have to be listening to us. It's great why we're brought to the brought by the internet. We are the last three guys to do a podcast and going live on Facebook, and we'll record this for later play on on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Breaker, and all and other assorted platforms. I'm John Morgo with Daniel Bolton and Leon Brown. Our guest today will be Mike Holmes, Sports Information Assistant Director for Georgia State University, primary contact on men's basketball. He also helps out on football. And we're going to talk with him about Georgia State's big win over Louisiana Monroe yesterday, 52-34. to Panthers really got going early. They uh, Roger Carter caught a four-yard pass with only three minute, uh, two and a half minutes gone by to start the first quarter. It was a part of a 21-7 first quarter, 42-14 first half, and then the Panthers just kind of coasted from there. ULM did do a little better in the second half, outscoring Georgia State by a score of 20-10, but by then the Panthers just had way too much of a big offensive uh, machine going, so they win that one, 52-34. Next game will be in Boone, North Carolina, a week from today, a week from yesterday, Saturday. They'll be playing Appalachian State. Big matchup, big matchup there. Panthers are now three and three on the season overall, two and three in the Sun Belt. Still plenty of room for Georgia State to do things for it. Um, not, couple of other good plays good play by quarterback Cornelius Brown as Georgia State throws for only 241 yards but they rush for about 263 Cornelius Brown goes 20 to 32 uh, 241 yards on the day also Cornelius McCoy he caught seven passes for 118 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Leon and well, Leon was in the car with me. We were listening to the first quarter. Daniel, I'm going to relay this story that when we were up in going up to Canton, as we were pulling into Canton, that's when that score happened. And I mentioned that uh, if we can, we please call Cornelius Brown to Cornelius McCoy. Can we call it the Soul Train connection? <laughs> I like that. Um, that <laughs> Yeah, so of course, you know, after two players named Cornelius after Don Cornelius, the longtime host yeah. of Soul Train. So, again, it's a good performance by Georgia State's offense. Uh, again, Mr. Holmes should be calling in in a few moments. Um, I'm going to actually text him a little reminder. I know he's he's got something that he has to be at at 5 o'clock, so we'll just get that out of the way right now. Um, again, the offense, Daniel, it's, look, it's looking pretty good. Again, that defense, although I think... The defense does have um, some issues, I think, but you know, it just seems to me that Georgia State just got that huge lead at the half, forty-two to fourteen, and maybe they kind of took the took, took the foot off the gas a little bit, especially on the defense. Maybe resting some starters um, that might have led ULM back into it. Of course, ULM they are winless this season. They are zero and eight right now. They are zero and five in the league, so they are just it's just the 
testament of a good squad that can beat up a bad squad like the, like the Warhawks of uh, Louisiana Monroe. And even though uh, the Warhawks are a bad squad, they still showed you that they are capable of scoring. And I think that's just been the story with the entire Sun Belt Conference this year. You're going to have to put up at least 40 points to even stay in a game with any team in the Sun Belt Conference. I mean, it, it, we've just seen some explosive offense this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like you said, John, defenses have really not been it's, – it's almost like equivalent to what we've seen the last few years of the Big 12. Right. Where it, it's nothing but dead, a deadlock track meet. And then, I mean, sometimes you have to score 50 to 60 points just to win a ball game. And that's what we're kind of seeing within the Sun Belt, and it's no different from Georgia State. I mean, you know, a very impressive win after coming off of that that huge defeat over Coastal Carolina, who seems to be the best team in the Sun Belt Conference. Yeah, and that was just um, an embarrassment game. I mean, 52 yeah, that was nothing. An at home, yeah, at right. home. Right. In Atlanta, yeah. yeah. Coastal Carolina made it made us look like we shouldn't have even been on the field with them mm-hmm. uh, last week. But for you to come back, and, of course, you, you go up against a winless uh, Warhawk team, but you come back and you respond the way that you did. And, and, you know, that was what made it impressive. And the running game, of course, when you're in that spread option, it's, it's just tough to stop uh, the run anyway because it leaves holes open and it leaves uh, a bunch of gashes open. And they have a bunch of speedy receivers, a bunch of speedy running backs. They just have a lot of great talent, a lot of great af- athletes on that team. So they can basically outscore anybody that they want to on any given day. But uh, it's like you said, John, you had a 42-14 lead at halftime, and the final score ended up being, what was it, 52 to um, 34, right. I believe. Uh, Daniel, I'm going to have to shut you sh- – I'm going to have to cut you off right here because our guest – Hey, Mike. Mike Holmes is d- joining us right now and the last few guys to do a podcast. Hi, Mike. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Uh, hanging in there. Hanging in there. You're on with, uh, again, my, my co-hosts, Leon Brown and Daniel Bolton. We're going to talk a little Georgia State. We're going to talk a little... We're going to talk a little Georgia State football, and we were just prefacing that 52-34 victory over uh, Louisiana Monroe. Cornelius McCoy, um, I'm sorry, Cornelius Brown throws for 241 yards. The Panthers rush for 263 yards. Good rushing attack for Georgia State, especially because those are two pretty even totals. So it's like the offense is not one-dimensional at all, especially in in this game. No, you're exactly right. And that's something that really since day one, when Coach Elliott came in, he wanted to get it where we had a, a solid round, a solid ground attack. Um, and it obviously took a little bit of time, but I think he's got the offensive line now and the talent in the backfield, um, as well as honestly a mobile quarterback, which, as you know, can kind of add, add one more dimension to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've started to see more and more of that. We saw a lot of it last year where we really just, we just kept running it and running it and running it. And, um, We've seen it in some games this year, and it's really worked. And it seemed to work really, really well yesterday. And um, you know, opened the game with a with a deep bomb that uh, to Cornelius McCoy. And I think that that after that, it really, you know, it, it kind of set the tone for the rest of the game, where um, the Warhawks didn't know if if, if we we're going to try to beat them deep um, or run it up the middle or run run outside. And so uh, we were able to control the clock a bit. And and, and you know, as you see, see the result was uh, what we wanted and what we needed. Mike, this this victory comes on the heels of a fifty-one nothing loss to Coastal Carolina at, at Georgia State uh, Center Park Stadium. What was Coach Elliott's message to the team uh, after that defeat, trying to get them ready for ULM? 
I think he really wanted to get the message across that we can't take anybody for granted and, and you've got to go into every game with the right mindset. And I don't think they had the right mindset for it. Um, you know, we had, we were two and two with a couple of um, close losses to, to really good teams. Um, and so I think, you know, maybe they, I don't want to say they thought they were better than they were. Um, obviously, Coastal Carolina is, is a very good team. Everybody is well aware of that. They continue to climb the rankings. I think I saw they might be up to 15. Yep, I think that was um, the total. That was the number. Today, yeah. Um, so, and it's probably the best defense we've played all year. And so, I think they kind of, you know, we kind of got hit in the mouth early on. And, and I don't know if we responded. Um, obviously, we didn't respond <laughs> when you lose 51 to nothing, unfortunately. that respond the way that, that we should. Um, we've had other games this year where we faced some adversity, um, but you know he bounced back and, and, and got things going. And we just could never get that going against Coastal Carolina. And so uh, you know you tip your tip your caps to him, obviously. But um, I think it was good to 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 you know ha- be able to get back out on the field uh, after a week. Um, Coach Elliott even mentioned earlier this week that it was good that there was an NCA mandated day off on Tuesday for Election Day. Good. Um, that it kind of let the guys get their get their focus right after after practice on Monday. Um, really put that game behind them and, and, and move on. And, and I think, you know, I think we showed that uh, on Saturday we were able to do that. Speaking with Mike Holmes from Georgia State, sports information uh, person. He does football and men's basketball. We'll get into men's basketball in a little bit here on the last three guys to do a podcast. I want to ask you, Mike, uh, you're talking about the defense now. Georgia State only allowed 85 rushing yards to Louisiana Monroe. A lot of that is because they got down early and they had to they had to pass pretty much the entire rest of the way. But that rushing that rushing uh, defense seemed to be, seemed to be really holding up there. Yeah, that's, that was another thing that Coach Elliott's talked about really since he arrived, that you know he wanted to be able to shut down the run and, and make teams beat us through the air. And, and there's been some games where we've done a really good job um, on the outside and with, our, you know, with our defensive backs and safeties and, and kept teams in check. Um, Monroe did bust open a couple long long plays yesterday, which I'm sure they'll be looking at uh, on film today and, and tomorrow we get ready for a big game against Appalachian State. Um, next Saturday, but I think it really comes down, you know, it, it's, everybody always talks about it. It starts up front, whether it's the offensive line or the defensive line. Um, and I think we're, we're, we're getting a lot closer to that. Um, it's allowing us to control the time of possession, which obviously the game is, is huge. Um, so it was good to see what they were able to do yesterday. And, and, it, and it took ULM out of their game, uh, early on, we were able to, as, as you kind of alluded to, took a, took a big lead early. Um, finished with 42 points in the first half, which are actually a school record. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to some extent, they did have to pass the ball a lot more. And and the quicker you can get a team out of their game plan, um, I think obviously the better it, better it is for you and, and better chance that it ends up with a good result in the end. Yeah, Mike. I was joking. I was listening to the first in the first quarter of the game. I was we were driving up to Canton for a Reinhardt basketball game. I was listening on album '88, the first quarter of that matchup, especially when Cornelius Brown found McCoy in the end zone. And I turned to a friend and I turned to Leon and I told and I said, "I got this idea. Can we please call the Cornelius Brown to Cornelius McCoy? Can we call that the Soul Train connection?" <laughs> I mean, I like that. I mean, I, that's just that's just you know just a random just a random uh, soul train joke there. I thought I personally, I'm surprised no one saw that. A lot of the young kids would not get that. No, probably a lot of the young kids would not get that. <laughs> no, probably not. A lot of them wouldn't. But I tell you what, there truly is a connection between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and and McCoy's been out the last couple of weeks, um, and I think that that really did affect Quad Brown and Cornelius Brown. 
nickname quad. And, right. um, I think it was really good. You know, they had that first play from scrimmage, um, staged all week and, and they were ready for it when they got the ball to start the game. And I think it really did infuse some confidence, um, into a freshman quarterback and into a team that, that probably needed a little bit of a confidence boost, um, after a tough one last week. And you talk about Appalachian State coming up next week. What? Is, how is Georgia State going to be able to avoid a repeat of what happened with Coastal Carolina? With the, with this, but you're saying that maybe they were. You, you talked about what happened with Coastal. Appalachian State is a good squad. Um, mm-hmm. What's going to? Avo- how are we, the Panthers, going to avoid taking that mindset to Coastal and taking it up to Boone? You know, I, th- I think, you know, you never obviously you never want to go through a game like we went through at Coastal last week, yes. um, whether it's for the players, the coaches, the fans, anybody. Um, but sometimes it kind of sends a message to everybody you know, of what you got to do. And, and um, you know, if you want to get to where you want to be, um, obviously, this will be a tough challenge this week. Uh, App State's a, been, a, been a team that's been really good for a long, long period of time. They're very good again this year. Um, I think the key for us is going to be controlling the ball. Um, and we talked, you know, we talked a little earlier about, about being able to run the ball and, and move it and control the clock. Um, if we can, if we can keep app States offense off the field, and obviously we've got to also control our turnovers. Um, I think if you do those two things, I think it gives us a chance going into the fourth quarter. Um, they're a team that we've never beaten before. Right. Um, and so they've kind of had our number. I think if you can get to the fourth quarter where it's, where it's a close game, a one score game that the pressure then isn't on us, the pressure's on them. Um, and especially, with, you know, they want to win the East and everything that, that goes along with that. Um, the only way they're going to be able to do that, they've got to take care of business against us because then they've still got to face Coastal Carolina um, before the year is over. And if, and if, if they come up with another loss, it's going to make that, I won't say impossible, but really hard. So I think that's the key for us. Um, and I think with a guy like Destin Coates in the backfield, um, you know, and then Tucker Gregg and uh, Jameis Williams, um, those are guys that have been moving the ball well, and, and they're kind of become our, you know, got a bit of a three-headed monster with them, and um, that's to me that's going to be the key. Speaking with uh, Mike Holmes from Georgia State, we'll turn it over to uh, see if Daniel Bolton has a question for you, Mike. Uh, Daniel, you okay. up? You're up. Hey, Mike. All right. Uh, you know what I've noticed this year, and of, and of course it's probably been because of the pandemic. We haven't had uh, a lot of the conferences started a little late or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed and and I think what we've all been impressed with is the exposure that the Sunbelt Conference as a whole has gotten. So we've seen a lot of Georgia State games on ESPN like we're really not used to seeing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how is the buzz at Georgia State University as far as that national TV exposure? Like how has that been um, across campus or have you talking to a, a lot of the a lot of your other constituents within the Sunbelt Conference, and how do they feel about the exposure, the type of exposure that they've been getting so far this season? Well, from a, there's actually it's a, there's there's almost two parts to that, and yeah. the first part is from a, from a from a university perspective, it's been phenomenal, um, and yeah. we've seen we've seen the number of eyeballs and of people watching that you know maybe aren't comfortable coming to the games, and, and that's understandable, and, and we accept that. Um, but no, when you've got a game on, you know, Thursday night game on ESPN, Saturday games on ESPN2, ESPNU, the exposure for the university is phenomenal. Um, but then you take the other side of it. Um, and, and this is a piece that probably a lot of people don't realize. Um, as of right, you know, right now, recruits can't come to, to stadiums to watch games. Um, so when Coach Elliott and his staff can call a recruit and say, hey, 
we're playing on ESPN on, on Thursday night, or we're playing on ESPN two on Saturday. Um, and they don't have to go kind of look for the games. That's huge for us. And that's huge. in recruiting. And, and so we've seen it for Georgia state. Honestly, we've seen it for the whole league this year. You know, what coastal Carolina is doing, what, what places like app state are doing in Louisiana. And so the number of games that we've had on, on linear, um, has, has been unprecedented for us. Uh, early on, you know, I thought, all right, cool. You know, we'll get a game or two, maybe three. All right. That'd be great. Um, and you know, we go the first five weeks where, you know, every single game was on, on uh, a linear channel for us. So, um, you know, it's, there, there obviously haven't been a whole lot of great things over the last seven months, um, with everything everybody's had to deal with, with this pandemic, but, um, the exposure we've been able to get and, and what it's meant for the program, um, is definitely something I'll take. And, I uh, was just talking to a member of the media a little while ago and, and hopefully everything that we've done and, and, and what we've helped ESPN out with this year, um, maybe there's a trickle down effect into 2021 and, and 2022. And, and maybe it doesn't mean we get every single game like we've had, but um, hopefully we'll start to see Georgia state football in the entire conference um, get some more exposure on ESPN, which would, which would be really cool. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago we had on, uh, we had on Kelsey, Kelsey Rogers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked her about uh, how it's been on the administrative side, dealing with COVID. And more importantly, I think Georgia state's in, probably better position than most other teams in this conference simply because you've got the you you pick the right time to get that stadium licensing deal in mm-hmm. that's no, you're, definitely you're, gonna help you're exactly right um we, we were fortunate and blessed that um center park credit union came along um obviously this was something that was being worked on um well before the you know the pandemic ever even started um when you're when you're talking a naming rights deal that's that's going to last for 15 years um, those are the types of things that are, are 12 and 15 months in the working. Um, but we we're very fortunate that, that their goals and aspirations are very similar to ours and that they want to continue, you know, continue to grow. They've got a long history uh, as the Atlanta Postal Credit Union. Um, we've got a long history uh, of Georgia State being a university that's more than 100 years old. Um, but at the same point, from an athletic standpoint, we maybe don't have the history um, that that a, that a a traditional school with a hundred years of experience would, when you look at a Georgia and a Georgia tech, but, but what's cool about that is we're kind of getting to set what the next 50 years look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're very fortunate to have them on board. We are very excited to be able to announce it back in August. Uh, we're very ex- excited with them of, of what the future will hold and, and what we'll be able to do, especially once the pandemic ends and um, we're able to get them in front of our fans and, um, and, and get them out more and, and then things that they can do for us as well from, from an exposure point uh, within the city of Atlanta and, and, and even bigger. And of course, with the new convocation center still uh, plans are still going on. Uh, is there any word on when uh, on when groundbreaking on that was going to be? We are getting very close, um, and I and at this point, I, I'm hoping within the next few weeks um, that is something we're able to announce. Um, I've, I've seen the, I think the, the last few eyes and dotted and the last few T's crossed, because um, we're excited to get that going uh, and what that'll mean, not just for for you know the basketball programs, but for the university as a whole. Right. Um, the the GSU Sports Arena has been a good home for our basketball teams. Um, all you got to do is look at the win-loss records there, especially over the last 10 years. Um, it's hard to make an argument when, um, even though it only seats about 4,000 people, you get about 2,000 in there. It gets pretty loud and pretty rowdy. Um, but at the same point, it, it, it's time for us to move on. And, and we're, we're excited about the whole athletics neighborhood um, on the property of what used to be you know, Turner Field and 
um, and, and having that on the north end and then, you know, hopefully not too too long after that, being able to announce a baseball and, and softball facilities there as well. And I look forward um, to that. It's, it's, it's really going to change, um, you know, the, the course of the future um, for our athletics department and for our university. And, I, and, and that's the part that I'm excited about. Having been a, been a student there a long time ago, um, and to now beyond going into my 13th year, just being able to set what the future is going to look like for, for our teams and for our student athletes, uh, is something pretty cool to be a part of. Uh, Leon, I did not mean to ignore you. Um, if you have, do you have a question for Mr. Holmes? And if so, uh, now's your time. Hey, sir, Mike. Hey, I want to know the psychology of the team going forward. You know, cause that was remarkable coming off a 51 to zero blowout at home to go off and pretty much dish it out mm-hmm. to an opponent in such a fashion. And granted, ULM may not be the best team, but at the same time, that's what you're supposed to do to the teams that are not the best teams. You're supposed to pummel them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And going and going forward, does Georgia State care? Uh, is the team, like the, the psychology team, you know, are they going to carry that swagger into the next game or are they trying to remain humble and understand that, okay, this is a whole other opponent we're facing? Or they're just going to use that, minimum, that, that momentum and try to translate next week into a victory? I mean, obviously, they'll definitely try to use that, some of that momentum. Um, but at the same point, I think what happened a week ago, um, I'm sure it definitely humbled them. Um, heck, it, it humbled this SID. Um, you know, I think it humbled everybody a little bit. Um, and, and so, you know, and, and they know what the challenge is going up to Appalachian State. And um, they know what, you know, the history and everything that goes along with it. But so I, I think they'll be very focused this week. Um, I don't think they'll turn around and, and think, hey, we. We just beat Louisiana Monroe, and you know, yeah, they've had some struggles this year. There's, there's no doubt about it. But I think the fact that we saw our offense clicking again, the way, honestly, we've seen it clicking for a while, not just this year, but even going back in the last year, I think that'll help. Um, and so, hopefully, that you know, it, it creates the right mindset. Um, you know, things. One of the things that you know, really good coaches will always tell you is, you, know, you don't want to get too high after a win. You don't want to get too low after a loss. Um, I think that's the key right now. You know, obviously, they probably got a little bit lower than they should have mm-hmm. uh, after what happened against Coastal Carolina last week, and that's understandable. Um, but you also don't want to now turn around and get too high um, after a, after a good win. Hey, any good win, any win is a good win at this point um, when you're in college football and, every, and everything we're going up against this year. Um, so hopefully, you know, it means an even keel. Um, I think I saw that from from some of our student athletes yesterday. It was like, all right, that was a good win. Now it's time to you know time to move on. Well, let's go take care of business. Um, next week. And so that's the type of mentality you want to see. Um, and hopefully that translates to a good week of practice uh, and then a good trip up, up, up the mountain. And, and then, you know, we'll see how the, how the, how the cards, uh, you know, roll out uh, next Saturday at two thirty. All right. Uh, speaking with Mike Holmes, Mike, I know uh, you t- your time is precious, so we won't keep you much longer, but I All really, good. but I really want to ask you about men's basketball. Um, yeah. Uh, the, again, practices have kind of gotten pushed back. The, we still don't have the non-con schedule. What does men's basketball look like for this season in coach in year two of Coach Barnes of the Coach Barnes era? Yeah, we are we are really excited um, with what coaches put put together. Um, I feel like this is one of the deepest teams um, we've had in a while. Um, you know, obviously, we bring back four starters from last year. Um, we add in three transfer three. Uh, Division one transfers as well as three freshmen, um, so I think that really is going to give us a, a lot of depth. Um, Kane Williams, who, who's been a all-conference performer, and Justin Roberts are both back. 
Uh, Corey Allen, who knocked down 30 or 91, or excuse me, 71 three pointers last year is back. Um, and then you start to look at the transfers. Yeah, like Eliel Sasemi, uh, who played at Cincinnati for two years, uh, is really going to be a big man presence. The, the man's built like a truck. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's no other way to put it. So give us a real good presence under the basket. Um, Jojo Toppin, who played at Norcross High School uh, and then went on to play at Georgia for a year, is now eligible to, to come in and play. And then finally, Ryan Boyce, uh, who was at Memphis for a year and a half. Uh, comes in from the transfer side of things. So you look at those three guys and, and what they've been able to do, you know, right there alone um, adds a lot to a team. But then you also bring in three really talented freshmen uh, in Evan Johnson, Caleb Scott, and Colin Moore. Um, so what it's really creating now is, is, is a true battle for, for positions, not only in the starting lineup, uh, but just to get off the bench. Um, and I don't know if we, you know, even, even with the best teams under Coach Hunter, um, we always had really talented starting fives, mm-hmm. um, and you, you had a couple guys that could come, you know that would come off the bench and give you give you significant minutes and, and production. Um, but I don't know if we were able to go as deep um, as as this team might be able to. And obviously, you know, we we haven't gotten to the point where we're playing games yet, um, so it's all on paper and it's and it's probably more for fans and, and speculation. But um, it's a fun and good group. Um, they've been able to get practice. They've, they've had practice going now for a while. Um, Opening night of the season will be November 25th. We're about two weeks away, just over two weeks away from yep. it. Um, if all goes well, uh, hopefully announce a non-conference schedule maybe later this week. Um, it's almost done, and we're just waiting on some contracts and stuff to be signed. But as you said, it's been it's been a unique unique challenge. Um, honestly, college basketball was scheduled to tip off uh, this coming Tuesday, November 10th. I think was originally opening night. Right. Um, and now, you know, they did push it back two weeks and, and we're going to see fewer non-conference games. I think we're probably looking at about seven. Um, we're looking at a very unique conference schedule where you play, uh, an opponent on back-to-back nights at the same location, mm-hmm. uh, as well as we'll never travel out to the West coast. The teams in the West division will only play teams in the East division. So playing coastal Carolina and Appalachian state and, and some of those guys four times, um, will, will definitely be unique. Um, but the goal for this season is is to obviously play well, but to get through the season, yeah, that's, um, and, that's, do, and do it in the safest manner possible. That's what it seems like the goal of this season is. It's it's just basic survival right now. Uh, get through yeah. get through it with as little t- tension, turmoil, COVID exposure as possible. That's what's that's what really seems like we're going. No, that's that's a hundred percent accurate. Um, yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day and kind of joked to him about two or three years ago. I, I kind of figured it out that between football and all the sports I work with, I try, I, I flew on a plane 42 times. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't flown <laughs> since last February, February 27th. To be wow. exact. And the earliest I would fly this year would be if we made the NCAA tournament. Okay. Um, so literally the team, when you look at the non-conference schedule and the conference schedule, we will never get on a plane this year. Um, and that all just goes back to just trying to minimize, um, you know, the potential exposure uh, as well as to be honest, I mean, we're, we're all fighting a bit of a financial battle right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a whole lot cheaper to get on a bus than it, it is, is. To, to, to load 20 to 25 folks on a plane. Um, so I think it was really smart what the athletic directors came up with and, and put together. Um, you know, and we're, we're excited about the year. I mean, that's what, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. We're excited to play. Um, we want to do it healthy uh, and safely for, for not only our student athletes and coaches, but for the fans as well and, and, and be able to bring some people into the sports arena um, and hopefully have a great season.
All right, well, hopefully uh, we wish you the best of luck with that season. It's going to start in a little over two weeks, two and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, looking forward to watching Georgia State uh, men's and women's take the hardwood this season. Hopefully it'll be a great year for, uh, for Coach Barnes and Coach Hill. Absolutely. That's what, that's what we're looking forward to. All right, Mike, we're going to let you go right now. I know you got a lot to do. Thank you so much for uh, spending a bat part of your day here on the last few guys do a podcast. Hope to have you back on real soon. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate you having me on. I always love Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. All right. That was that was Mike Holmes, Georgia State. Uh, he's, he's not the sports information director. He's the sports information contact for men's basketball. Golf, I think, is under his purview, and he is on the radio crew for football. Actually, the um, Allison George is the sports information director for Georgia State, and she does baseball and football as well. So appreciate Mike joining us uh, as. We, uh, here on the last three guys do a podcast. I'm John Morgan with Daniel Bolton, Leon Brown. Again, uh, Georgia State defeated ULM yesterday, 52-34. The Warhawks with only 85 rushing yards, but they did pack up 339 passing yards, largely because again they got behind. They got behind early. All right, we're going to switch topics a little bit because uh, we had a very big um, milestone yesterday as Leon joined me as we went up to Waleska, Georgia to call play-by-play -play and color for George, for Reinhardt Women Opener. They played the Columbia University Rams. They won that game 82-72. Uh, Columbia had a sizable lead, nine-point lead at the half. Then Reinhardt turned on the heat in the third and fourth quarters, outscored them by, I think, almost 2-1 to one to come back and win that one by 10 points, 82-72. So, Leon, your impressions as you made your debut as a college basketball color commentator. Oh, man. I feel like, um, like Willie Beeman on any given Sunday in the huddle for the first time. Mm -hmm. Or um, the alleged, um, the alleged um, throwing up that Dominic Nab did in the Super Bowl against the Patriots in 2002, I believe it was. Was it 2001? Uh, it might have been 2001. Yeah. 2002, 2002. 2002. Yeah, yeah. But um, the nervousness is there, but um, I had John next to me to sit back and um, help me out with it. But it was great, though. You know, um, first of all, with, with the basketball, being that I know basketball, I'm able to sit back and commentate and, you know, add some analysis to it real well. You know, for example, um, who was the young center, the, the sophomore, the six foot three center? Um, Emily Crawford? Was it? It was. There, I got a Emily, Her name is Emily. You got a last name. Yeah. But, you know, when, when John was on play by play and, and noticing some of the, you know, the thing that Emily has to work on her game as far as, you know, she has to understand that she's harder than everybody. So, therefore, when she gets that rebound, keep the ball above your shoulders. So, therefore, the little the, the young lady, the, the, the guards can't get it and put it back up. You know, able to, you know, and, and understanding you used, you, know, you, you used to, you know, being like that small forward getting rebounds over guys who are like five foot five or six feet tall when I, and, put, and putting the ball up. I was able to tap into that. You know, you know saying, studying the most Emily Swafford. Emily Swafford. Emily Swafford, yes. And 
setting the momentum of the game and sometimes, you know, engaging the over-aggression of the point guard in Shimon Williams. You know, where she may not have a hot hand, but she kept kind of forcing the issue a little bit, but the team didn't suffer because of it. You know, um, and it's able to gauge that, you know, like, you know, it's just a real overall, just a good experience and something I'm looking forward to doing again. And, you know, continue to go forward, you know. Yeah. So, Leon, let me ask you this. Let me, let me ask you this. And I've been saying it for a long time that because of your knowledge and skill of college basketball, I, I, I really couldn't wait for you to get on the, um, to get on the right on the mic and do color commentary for college basketball or any kind of basketball at that nature because of your brass and, and your, your you know I, I always go to you especially for NBA you know that that is your thing um, but like when you first started out uh, when you first did it and, and when that broadcast first came on did it take you time to build up to it because I remember that's how it was you know, for the three of us, because the three of us, this was the first time we had ever did a three-man booth mm-hmm. when we were doing college football. And we had never done that before. So, you know, we was just kind of like, okay, well, how is this going to go? How are we going to let this happen? And just because of the connection that the three of us have with each other, it was able to go by smoothly. So, but as far as you debuting as college basketball, like, did you was it a rough start for you and you just kind of, you gradually worked your way up or was it the fact that, okay, I'm sitting here and I know about it. All I have to do is just let John call the play, do the play by play, tell the story. And I analyze the story because it's basketball and I know how to analyze the story. But how, how did it go for you? Right. The first, the first three minutes were a little bit rough because you know, the, the, the pace, you know, able to call a game at such a fast pace. That had a fast pace game was a little bit rough, but after about three to four minutes, you know, like being that me and John, we got chemistry. You know, we all all three of us got chemistry because we've been around each other for so long. Mm-hmm. So that's when I just let the, the the momentum of the chemistry just take over. You know, John calls the right. play, and I just analyze, and you know, we were able to mm-hmm. sit back, you know, crack, you know, crack, crack, crack our little jokes in between and everything, and it became right. really like two guys talking during the game. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh, this, 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 I can get used to this. Okay. So, you know, and I say it takes like the first, you know, the first three, the first 180 seconds. Get, getting used to the flow of the game. But um, I said once, once those three minutes came off, it was great. You know, um, I remember John said something in stop, pop, and drop. <laughs> oh, okay. That's it. You know, one of the young ladies, she, you know, she caught the ball in the wing, stopped, shot, from the thing, and dropped. It was, you know, the flow of the words, and I was able to come through and piggyback off what he said and everything. It's a pretty, it's a pretty enjoyable experience. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, in the early portion of that ball game, Briley Puckett just exploited the inside, just going down the right side, going down the left side, and I just, and I tr- I tried to. S- at least in that early part, set Leon up for what I thought wanted him to talk about in terms of analyzing how the flow of the game is going, how the different offensive set pieces are going. And he says, you know, that you have to do something to clog up the middle. And there was another move where where Reinhardt made a move right through the lane and a defender didn't rotate over to help out. So 
just trying to set up things like that. And let, because as, as you said, Daniel, Leon does know the game. It's just a matter of getting him in comfortable enough to talk about to talk about that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I I struggled with that for a minute. I remember my first ever game that I called. I actually called it with another student. Right. Um, this is when we were at the Georgia Permanent College, and uh, Wade Marbaugh, who's actually. Uh, rock the house with us a couple of times. Actually, he filled in for me once. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he actually came up to me and asked if I wanted to, you know, be on the broadcast team. And the other guy who I was with, he wasn't sure on what to be. So he was just calling games. So most times what we were doing was we were switching, and I'm doing it off of him. Right. In the middle of the game, we're switching from color commentary to play by play. Okay. So at some point, I'm like, "Wait a minute, what am I then?" <laughs> yeah, you you need set on. roles. You just can't go back and yeah, forth. You, you need set, set roles so you know what you're do- so you know what you're doing. That and that and that's Correct. very you know once you get once you get into that, it's very important. Mm-hmm. And also, we've got some uh, they they dem- they showed off some new gear. Um, at the broadcast table, we got a new soundboard. We got some new, we got oh, wow. some new cables, and more importantly, a new camera. And the gentleman, uh, Big John, was his name. Um, he told me that, hey, it looks like, it looks like we'll be able to get off of the roof. They're, these cables will have enough room, enough leverage, or enough, ro- you know, length, so that we can actually be in the booth. And they'll the camera will be in up top, but we'll be in the booth for football this February. Oh, that makes that's good. Yeah, because that's good yeah, because uh, like I said, it's you know you you look at calling a game in calling a game in that on that roof. Our first home game is going to be February thirteenth against uh, Faulkner. You know, our George uh, Reinhardt will start February sixth over at Point, and we're inside there. I do not want to be on that roof in mid-February. Me neither. No. Me neither. It's like, no, hell no. Me <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. I want to be inside, away from the wind. That's where I want to be. And, Leon, uh, to, to answer your other question, it looks like our next game will be on this November 21st, two weeks from yesterday, 4 p.m., hosting St. Andrews. That will be a men's game. Looks like uh, five straight Reinhardt men's games have been postponed. I assume it's COVID-related, but we were supposed to have that game with with Columbia International. supposed to be a doubleheader. But looking at the schedule, uh, games with Montreal on Thursday at Union on Saturday, Tennessee Wesleyan on the 17th, and Point on the 19th, all postponed. And the next game that is still slated to go two weeks from yesterday against the St. Andrews Knights, that will be a men's game, 4 p.m. start. Hopefully that will stay and we won't, in the COVID or whatever, will not take that out. Uh, there is a women's game. On the 20th, that's a Friday. I don't think we're going to be able to do that. Looks like the next women's game, if this schedule holds, will not be until the new year, January 9th. Um, so hopefully, so, but again, that's, you know, that's if that's if things hold. Right now, women's basketball is uh, very much conference-oriented. 
I don't see any non-conference games on here. As we said with Mike Holmes, right now this college basketball season is all about survival. That's, you know, we're just trying to get through it with minimum, uh, I'll say minimum risk. And I really think that's what we're doing. We're trying to minimize the risk, but still get the games in. So you're not going to have much travel. You're not going to have much non-conference action. It's just trying to get through it with um, basically with your head down and try to get through it on skate. That's pretty much where we're going on this. So I'm John Morga with uh, Daniel Bolton, Leon Brown, and again, uh, George, uh, Reinhardt. I'm sorry, I keep doing that. 82-72 wins over Columbia University, International University. Toby Wagner picked up his 27th win in his second season. Again, the women's team went 26-3 and last year, and they got off on a winning winning side this season, 1-0. and And Leon, when we were driving home, we were listening to Georgia-Florida. It seemed like that game was going to go back and forth. And I remember listening to the Bulldog radio, radio crew, and Eric Zier, the color commentator, was about ready to pummel Scott Howard, the play-by-play man, for mentioning that in the Kirby Smart era, Georgia, whenever they get a defensive touchdown, they were 14-0. and And Eric Zier looked at, looked at, at, at uh, Scott Howard and said pretty much, how, how dare you mention that stat until the game is over? And I'm just kind of wondering if after the game, whether or not Mr. Zire did indeed punch out Mr. Howard for mentioning that and potentially jinxing Georgia in that one. Because after the, after the halftime, it was all Florida. Yeah. Oh, man. That was, in, in my opinion, the, the loss that Georgia took. Okay, between okay, I, I don't even know here. Which was between you two? What was a, what was just a bigger loss? The Georgia lost to Florida by that many points, or the fact that Clemson lost to Notre Dame, losing the number one status. Well, I would say Cle- I would I would say Florida. The bigger deal is Florida beating Georgia because Georgia was a full team going into that game. Because uh, right. whatever Clemson does in the next week and in the next couple weeks is gonna have an asterisk simply because Trevor Lawrence wasn't there. Now, did Clemson make mistakes? Right. Oh yes, they did. Travis Etienne dropped a ball that got turned into a touchdown. There was another another turnover directly led to uh, Notre Dame touchdowns, and also you know that is a very difficult place to play. If those two teams play in a um, neutral set setting, which would probably happen in the um, in the championships and if Trevor Lawrence is there it probably is a totally different but boy Travis Etienne has got to learn to hold on to the football because I think that's what two straight weeks he he he, uh he turned it over and it directly led to an opponent's touchdown yeah it 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 was because last week uh I think his fumble actually led to a defensive touchdown yes so he did that two straight weeks and and you can get away with that against Boston College you cannot get away with that against Notre Dame Exactly, and I agree with you on that, John. Um, I mean, the, the way that the game started out at first, I mean, the first play from scrimmage, Zamir Rice. Listen, you guys were listening to it. It was tough watching it. Yeah. Just just watching it unfold for the Bulldogs. And and listen, the Florida Gators, y'all know how I feel about them. I'm, I'm not a fan of them, but right. I respect them. That, that kid, Kyle Trask, it, a lot of people are not talking about him as far as Heisman and Bowden goes, but he. He should be up there in that in that conversation. I mean, he has been 
he has been everything Florida has actually asked for, man. I mean, when you look at that Florida offense now, they kind of remind you of what they looked like in the 90s when Danny Warfel and Jesse Palmer were the quarterback. Um, and they would spread you out with uh, with Steve Spurrier at the helm. Now with Dan Mullen turning this turning this uh, program around and making them a perennial powerhouse. Right now they got the edge in the SEC, in the SEC East. Um, it, you know, Zamir Wright got off to a great start, 75-yard run on the first place in, of scrimmage. Florida came back and they answered uh, with their own touchdown. Well, I'm sorry, no, Georgia was up 14 nothing. Yeah. At one point, and then Florida came back and answered with two scores, and then of course the Stokes pick six, mm-hmm. uh, which was really all, the only mistake Kyle Trash made in that game. Right. I mean, really, when you come to think about it, and it was really it came down to one quarter, and it was the second quarter. The second quarter of play, it was just not a good look um, for them. And I do want to send my best wishes out to uh, Marcus uh, Rasini Jackson. Um, he was injured on that 32-yard um, touchdown play, and it was a gruesome injury. Um, it was a it was the same injury basically that Prescott had, uh, where uh, the defender actually rolled over his ankle as he was rolling into the end zone. And when you see it live, it was like, oh my god! And I I just squinted and just started praying for the young man immediately. But <clears throat> how tough is he? He came back out. And he said he came back out and watched the rest of the game on the sideline. Yes, he's a tough cookie. And and the first thing he asked was, "Did I score the touchdown?" <laughs> That's the first thing he asked. <laughs> tough yeah. cookie, tough guy. I hope his um, I hope he gets better. But to answer your question, Leon, uh, this loss is bigger for Georgia than it is for Clemson. A lot of things of what John said. Georgia, here's the thing: Georgia has two conference losses already. They're not. The only way they're going to win the SEC East is if they went out and Florida loses two more games. That's the only way they could they could even win the SEC East. Florida's schedule is easy right. going toward uh, going to the home stretch, so they don't really have a concern or anything like that going in. So you could pretty much say Florida may have wrapped up the East, but with Clemson, Notre Dame, Clemson lost to a fourth ranked Notre Dame team. And I meant to call you guys, and I meant to push you because, folks, if you don't know, we're on a um, we're on a, a group text together, and we text each other yeah. at, at least two or three times a week. And what I meant to say, because last week I did pick Clemson to win close, but as, as the week went by, I should have texted y'all and told y'all, listen, I think I'm going to change my pick here. I, I had a funny feeling that Notre Dame was going to win this football game, like Leon said. Leon mm-hmm. predicted this correctly last week on our show. I, I had a funny feeling that Notre Dame was going to win this game. And I didn't realize how much of a classic it was going to be. But you guys better believe it, it's not going. It's not so much of a big loss because Notre Dame's right there at four. Right. Clemson, yes, was the number one team. And like you said, John, it's going to be an asterisk by that because Trevor Lawrence was not there. You know? And they will meet again in the ACC championship. And I've oftentimes told people go, they were going to split this series anyway. Yeah. Whether Notre Dame was going to win this game or lose the ACC championship, it, it, both teams were not going to beat each other twice unless they meet in the national championship game. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And like I said, I don't know what Florida's schedule looks like. You said it's easy. I assume they have Vanderbilt on there, and that's an automatic W. Um, probably have, they probably probably have Kentucky. 
Uh, but yeah, Florida. Uh, I'm, I see their schedule now. Right. Um, so their next game will be against Arkansas. Then they're at Vanderbilt uh, on the 21st. Uh, uh, then they're back at home against Kentucky. Uh, then they're at Tennessee. Now remember, the Tennessee uh, game is normally yeah, in nor- yeah, September, nor- but of course they got pushed back. Yeah. And then against LSU. And this is not okay. the same LSU team from last year. Okay, so, so at the bet, I mean, being – being pessimistic, I'm going to say four and one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say four and one, and that's pessimistic. Figuring they might lose either Tennessee or LSU, and I tend to doubt that. But if you really want to get pessimistic for Florida, it's five and it's four and one. They are not going to lose two. So Florida, oh no no no, Florida is going to be the uh, the Eastern Division winner in the SEC, playing again Alabama. In the in the uh, SEC title game, so really, I give you the only the only team, John, that I can see them possibly losing to. And if I'm just going by which team is better, yeah, y'all would be surprised. But it's actually Arkansas. Okay, Arkansas is a better football team this year. Um, the other four, I, John, I'll let you speak on Vanderbilt. Yeah, they Vanderbilt um, stinks. Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> Vanderbilt, like Vanderbilt doesn't even. It's, it's at the LSU. point where Vanderbilt doesn't even care, and that's the, and that's really ah. it, it. Really, see, it really is terrible because because Mississippi State yesterday in that twenty four seventeen victory had got five takeaways. Man. So, but the defense finally showed up. I think that I think that that twenty four points might be the lowest amount of points scored all season, but you can't keep giving the ball. Over like they did yesterday, and then they they'll go to zero and five. They are seriously looking at an zero and ten season, and I think Derek Mason is on his way out the door. It's just a matter of who they can get, but more importantly, guys, with Vanderbilt, it's a matter of the commitment that the as, that the administration is showing to the athletic department because everybody everywhere else, everywhere else, that commitment is not only implied, it's reinforced. With Vanderbilt, you're not really sure that commitment is there. The feeling that Vanderbilt will be just as happy being in the Ivy League or in a D3 league where <laughs> they just kind of, they, they, they want to be known as academic, as, as, like I said, the Harvard of the South. And you don't think of Harvard Crimson football. You, you know, it, they just happen right. to be in this incredible league that gives them an that basically, I mean, first of all, they're saying oh, Vanderbilt will leave the SEC. No, 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 no. I can give you about forty million reasons why Vanderbilt is not leaving the SEC. I can, you know, about that. It's just a matter of getting that, giving that money into athletic programs. Where where that money is going now? It's going into libraries. It's going into the education side to build that up. It's not going into athletics. Now, I'm not saying this blanket statement because obviously Vanderbilt does have some good quality teams. I'm thinking of baseball. Two national championships this last decade. So baseball is where the bread is buttered. So, But football and to an extent men's basketball, I mean, I'm kind of yes, they had a low point last couple of years, but there's evidence that Jerry Stackhouse is starting to turn this thing around. And let's be honest, basketball, you get two, three, five, uh, five-star recruits, you could turn that thing around like that. Uh, but the problem is right. with basketball, you got to keep them there. You know, usually you get these people and you're, you're just renting them for a year. Vanderbilt has had horrible luck in getting these five-star people, but then they get hurt and rather sit out the entire year. And then rather than come back, they're going to the pros. 
So that's kind of the issue. Baseball, not really that problem, simply because that just the way the amateur draft is set up. And a lot of people are indeed staying there for that national title run. I'm thinking of Kumar Rocker. I'm thinking of, um, uh, gosh, what's his name? Um, oh, it'll come to me. Jake Leiter, I think, is his name. But I'm not 100% sure on that. But I think I, his name is Jake Leiter, yeah. Yeah, okay. But yeah, yeah, I think Ku- you're right. Kumar Rocker, who had that uh, no-hitter against Duke a couple years ago, two years ago, uh, for that national title game. In that national title run. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where Vanderbilt's at. Baseball, yes. Football, and football is just so cash. It's like a cash vacuum. And they just haven't really put those put the, uh, put the their money where the facilities are. They have not really shown that, and that's what they need to do. All the athletic departments, all the uh, ADs, they pay lip service to it. But until things actually change on the ground – it's not going to get any better, and that's why James Franklin left after his couple after his years when he went to Penn State. I don't think he saw that commitment. All right, so uh, that wraps up our college football uh, wrap up here. As we got about ten minutes left, I want to talk quick NFL. Uh, Leon, your Chargers are up seventeen fourteen against the Raiders. As that game is about ready to get into halftime. So they're giving Las Vegas a run for their money, but the Falcons, they defeat Denver today. Uh, it Again, another example, 34-27, I believe, was the final. Another example where the Falcons get a big lead, and this time they held on, even though Denver did come back. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you know, we, we talk about Atlanta. Um, first off, they're, they've won three out of their last four. Yeah, Raheem Morris, um, three, so three and one. Raheem, yeah, Raheem Morris is three and one. And when you look at those three wins, you know, two out of those three, you know, they were still close games where the defense had to make a stop. Mm-hmm. That third one against Minnesota, they they just simply – they were just better than Minnesota that day. But they were better than Denver today on all aspects. And then it's like, a, here we go again. You know, you are allowing Drew Lott. Well, remember Drew Lott did this last week in the char- uh, against the Chargers. I hate to bring that up, Leon, but – you know, it's, it's what happened. He came back from 21 down to upset the Chargers last week. And so now you're thinking like, oh, man, is this another case? Like, I mean, is, is this what's going to really happen this time? And mind you, this happens This happens um, right when you don't have Calvin Ridley. Um, Dante Fowler is out. So it was it was just one of those things that just came about. Uh, 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 Zacchaeus came up big today on the receiving end. Yes. Uh, Julio had a touchdown pass. I mean, and Matt Ryan was very good. He made he threw that one pick that was questionable, but you know he still got it done today. And the defense actually looked great again for three quarters. And then they kind of dropped off a little bit, but. This is this is a high end for us. Um, Atlanta looked good going into this bye week. They're three and six. Yeah, still got a lot of ground to catch up on, and, and then they have to get ready and they have to, you know, get focused. This bye week probably came at a great time for them because uh, it's the Saints. Well, they have to play. Not only that, uh, off the bye week. not only that. These next seven games, you got five against. You play the Saints twice, the Bucks twice, and you get Kansas City. And you get the Raiders. Yeah. 
I think the Raiders yeah, is the and, other and the San Diego and, 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 uh, and LA. LA is in there, yeah. in there too. So yeah, LA is in there too. So yeah, the Raiders are there too. Yeah. All right, yeah. yeah. So you got the yeah, Raiders, the, the Chargers. We played the AFC Right. So yes, yeah, so and we get. I think we get them. So you get you get four you get four games with the uh, Tampa. I'm sorry, four games with Tampa and New Orleans, and then the top three in that league: Kansas City, Las Vegas, and L.A. And that is not going to be easy, guys. No. I mean, no. I just don't – I mean, that three and six, that's looking that's looking pretty good. I don't know – I honestly don't know what Atlanta's record is going to be looking like, but that set – but that matchup of seven teams, that is, that is much, much harder than what they, than what they had the first nine. So, I, so for yeah. so for people, so for people who want Atlanta to tank and to get that good draft position, you know, I don't know what this, I don't know what this, what this, what this final thing is going to be is going to look like. But if you, based on the numbers, I'm looking at Atlanta to get a top ten draft draft choice. Because mm-hmm. if you go five and eleven, you're going to get a top ten choice, and that might be as be- and that might be. What Atlanta's looking at, although we'll see tonight when the uh, Saints and the Bucks go at it for their second meeting, and see what they're and see what they're looking like. Although the thing of it is, I was reading an article in the uh, AJC today, how the Saints and really all the they they called them the they called them quarter boomers, um, and I'm talking about Drew Brees, I'm talking about Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger. For Pittsburgh and Indianapolis, although I think what did Indianapolis do? Did they lose that game? Um, where's Indiana? Yeah, they lost to Baltimore, twenty-four ten. And especially with New Orleans and Tampa oh, wow. Bay, uh, New Orleans especially, the salary cap is really, really going to come back and bite them in the tush. And they are about ninety million dollars over the cap right now. I mean, they, especially Tampa Bay and New Orleans, they are all in for this season. And if they don't get it, they are looking at a reckoning next season where they where they might have to divest most of their roster. So if Atlanta does get that really good draft position, because remember Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, they're still in their prime. Of course, it's yep. it's it's the same old story, same old song and dance in terms of the defense that Atlanta needs help with. But you know, I mean, it may be early to start looking ahead and saying, "Oh man, you know, look at what Atlanta." could do next season because you figure they're going to get they will probably get a third or fourth place schedule so they'll get the they'll probably look at games i don't know who i don't know what division we get next season but you figure it'll be either uh whether or not we get the four and like i said the nfc the nfc east is just you know a giant dumpster fire so i think atlanta's going to get a very favorable schedule and that nfc south could actually wind up being 2021's NFC East. I like that. So you know, I I don't I don't know because remember the NFC. The reason why the NFC West is so good and the AFC North is so good is because of the NFC East. That's that's the yeah. that is the simple reason for it. I mean, Philadelphia is on top with a three four and one record. <laughs> you know, but you know what? I can also say when you look at the NFC East, even when they play each other, 
I thought Sunday night was one of the most comical games I had ever seen. Yeah, it I was horrible. Yeah. Any, any much bad football in my life mm-hmm. between two teams, and and it represents the NFC East. It yep. was perfect. It was perfect commentary, and it was perfect theater to watch. For you to the the only thing, guys, was that somebody had to win that football game. That was the only problem. Somebody had to do it. Who who was going to look bad to look good looking bad? Who was going to look better looking bad? Right, basically, <laughs> that's what it was, and it was the Eagles. Well, you, it was the Eagles, but but you know you're, you're looking at Dallas right now. They're up thirteen nothing on the only unbeaten team in the NFL in Pittsburgh. So yes, I don't know. Well, I'm looking at this charger. I'm looking at this charger game, 17-14 bolts in the, at the half, and Leon Justin Herbert just got his uh, first win as a starter last week, and you know you, I'm looking at these standings for the AFC West. You know, th- no one's catching Kansas City. They've already got a almost like a three and a half game edge over Las Vegas, although they're eight and one, and it depends on what the Raiders. If the Raiders come back, they'll be five and three. That'll be a th- kind of a two and a half game edge but if the chargers can hold on they'll they'll tie denver for the bottom and vegas is only a game up in front of them they could easily get to that second slot yeah we need justin herbert to catch fire you know we could go off and click off this w against the raiders that was a three and five like i said that would that would put them just a, a game behind and this right here will be an excellent rookie debut we could somehow pull off the, the way things are structured this year, because I you know, I was in full panic mode last week. I'm not going to say I'm going to be honest with you. I was in full panic mode last week. Yeah. If we could somehow pull off 9-7, make it to the playoffs and compete for the whole thing, that, that would be actually. Because this right here, and this is what I said last week, this is not supposed to be a rebuilding year. Uh-huh. We, are all, we are all in. We're firing all cylinders. This is supposed to be the year that we go off and make it happen. I mean, we are two years removed from a great playoff run. You know, we, we, granted, we lost in the first round. But at the same time, we, we, we made a, well, did we lose in the first round? Hang on, in 2018, we lost to the Patriots, which we lost in the, we never played, we lost in the second round. We lost in the second round. Yeah, because you beat Baltimore. You beat Lamar Jackson in his first one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. We lost, we lost one to Phoenix. I remember we lost to Tom Brady again. Philip Rivers has never beaten Tom Brady ever in life. Right. Regular season or playoff. Okay. That's on record. So we're two years removed from that. So we're, we're, you know, we're just trying to get back. We're not trying to be in free fall mode like the 49ers. All right, we're trying to let, let's salvage this season. Let's get this W. I need Justin Herbert to throw for at least 350. You know, I need Keenan. I need Keenan Allen to catch for at least hundred. I need Mike Williams to catch for at least hundred. I need Aaron Eckler. To, I cannot get his name. Is, did I get his name right? Austin. Austin. Okay. Until he starts, you know, you know, when, when, when he starts winning the start rushing for hundred yards, I get his name right. In the meantime, I'm going Jim Rohn. <laughs> until, until further notice. Until but, further notice. And here's my thing. And here's my thing, Leon. I'm gonna interject for a second. Here's my thing. When I look at this, the uh, I was about to say it. When I look at the L.A. Chargers, <laughs> when I look at the L.A. Chargers, it, I look at them and I look at the Atlanta Falcons. They've done the same thing that the Atlanta Falcons have done. They cannot hold leads at the end of ball games, and I think it comes down to defense. It, it, for me, I I think that they made the right call on starting Justin Herbert. Hey, Justin Herbert is going to be a star in this league 
uh, along with Joe Burrow. Uh, we've seen a lot of these great young quarterbacks, Kyler Murray, Tua Tungavailoa. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to be the leader of that revolution. Uh, Lamar Jackson. So I've seen that. But when I look at the Chargers, I look at them the same way. The same way. Absolutely. They've blown at least five leads. They've blown at least five fourth quarter leads, and they should be a better football. They are, They are again, the Atlanta Falcons are a 6-3 team living in a 3-6 world. Yep. They, you can say the same thing for the L.A. Chargers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, you know, um, we're, we're, we're definitely in the same. If, if anything, you know, we have a bit of an excuse because we have, like, a young quarterback versus, mm-hmm. you know, the line of Falcons having the, the veteran quarterback. But just, our better quarterback better. job is not on the line. Yeah, our, our quarterback job is on the line. Matt Ryan... You know, when, when you guys go to the draft, it's like, well, y'all draft another quarterback or not. That has to be in the back of his mind. Like, okay, we'll, 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 if we finish worse than um, expected, will we be eligible right. to get Justin Fields? Oh, you got to be the top two teams. I mean, just, Justin Fields is not going to drop out of the top five, and I'm being and I'm being very uh, I'm being very generous in that. Yeah, he's not going right. to jump out. He's not going to drop out of the top three. So whoever does, I mean, we all know Trevor Lawrence is going to go one to the Jets. We know that. And then it just depends on who gets to, who slides into that two, three, four, five slot. Because it could be anybody. I know. I'm hearing rumblings. I'm hearing very rumblings. I mean, it would be so messed up if this were to happen like that. But you know what would be real messed up? To happen next year that the Cowboys could do, to be real, I mean, it'd be unethical, but it is a business. You know, I'm about, you know, I'm about to go with this. Yeah, you're you're gonna say what get rid that? of Dak. Oh yeah, what, you, you, you put you Dak see, on the trading block for that number two slot. Hey, you you, you see where I'm going? Hey, has the, the NFL has never been, has never been um, accused of having a so has it? Mm-hmm. They've never it, been accused of having one. It could. I mean, it could happen because we all know that Dak is probably yeah. by not signing whatever Jerry Jones has offered him. You know, we also know that Dak took a huge gamble this season, and by getting hurt, it seems like he 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 lost. It just depends on how much yeah. what he, what he's going to be able to look look like coming off of this injury, and also again, it all depends who's going to get that number two seat in in the draft. And whether or not Dallas can put together an attractive enough package, I mean, heck, he could even if the if the package is attractive enough, I think he could even he might even get the Jets to bite on 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 that number one if the tra- if the package is good enough, and more importantly, if Dak is healthy enough coming off of that injury. I mean, it could happen. So I mean, if you're yeah. That's, that's going to be interesting in the see in the offseason, right, on, on how Dallas handles the situation or even how Dak Prescott handles the situation as well. I mean, we really haven't heard any kind of updates on, you know, how his recovery is coming along or how much time he could miss uh, behind this. But, man, you just – who do you who do you feel – do you feel bad for Dak Prescott because he didn't take the deal? Or I mean, I feel bad for him in general. Because he he injured himself, yeah, and he didn't get the money. 
like he was supposed to, you know, like we thought he would. Or I mean, he's, he's going, he I mean, wherever he winds up going, he's going to, I mean, he will be the number one uh, quarterback on the free agent market. He, he, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think, and I think that, and that might, that might take the Jets, that might tempt the Jets to take a shot at him because he is more polished than Trevor Lawrence is. And, and check it out. That, yeah. if, if that goes to the if that goes to the Jets, they're gonna give him a very weak deal. That's fact. Mm-hmm. He will not get paid the amount of they're going to give him. I wouldn't be surprised to get that Cam Newton deal. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Matter of fact, I was thinking about that. Partially, my heart goes out to him. I think it's real messed up happens to him. I feel that because yeah. he gamble. That's the worst type of injury you could possibly attract to her. When you're, you know, I mean, outside of ACL. Right. I mean, when your ankle is dislocated mm-hmm. like that, I mean, oh, yeah. goodness, it's such a, it's such a bad time. Mm-hmm. You know, my heart goes out to that man, you know what I mean? But from a business point of view, man, come on, bro. That, 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 that was the most idiotic move you could have made. Bro, that should have been on, he should have been in college with, with, with Zeke. Yeah. Him and Zeke, I'm pretty sure Zeke pitched ideas to him like, hey, we need to get paid. And Dak wanted to be the right. company man, didn't he? Remember, Dak wanted to be a company man. I'm gonna do his best for the company. Dak pulled a Melvin Gordon. Yeah. No, wait a minute. Wait. No, if Dak was, if Dak wanted to do what was best for the company, he would have signed the offer sheet that Jerry Jones gave him. He did not sign that offer sheet. He made the Cowboys franchise tag him because he was worth the month. Because he he put it all on the line for this season. He thought if he could do well for the. Well, this season he could write his own he could write his own amount of money to be paid him. But if he was a company man, he would have signed what Jerry Jones gave him. He would not have forced him to apply the pressure to apply the franchise tag. Dak just wanted to play. Dak wanted to show his worth, and the only way he could show his worth is on the field. And unfortunately, he took a gamble. He took a gamble and he lost. So now he's got a. Kind of pick, pick the pick, pick the pieces up. So he took a gamble on himself and lost. Yeah, and lost. Yeah, I think he should have been out on top of Zeke. Well, Zach, Zeke is like If you're if you're no if you're a running back, you could probably do that. But if you're a quarterback, part of being a quarterback is leading. I would say I would say I would say seventy five percent of being a quarterback is being a leader. And if Zach yeah. wa- and if Dak wants to call himself a leader, he cannot do that on the beach in Cabo. And remember, he's trying yeah, to. Pres- let me tell you something. It, it, and it starts even outside, John. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. it's, it's outside, and it starts even with inside that huddle. You can you've heard a lot of players, like a lot of offensive linemen and a lot of running backs, say, "Man, when he came in that huddle, it's like he took control of that huddle." Right. That's what the other players are looking at. And that's what we mean by leadership. When Tom Brady steps in that huddle, it's stones that's spitting out of his mouth. Right. Okay. And he knows what he's talking about, you know. But when you have somebody that you just don't trust like that, it can be tough. Now, I don't know if that had a handle of it on, on the huddle, mm-hmm. you know. But I do know and I can see just by the way Dallas is playing because they are a lot more talented than, than what that two and six record shows. And they're showing it today. They've got a pretty, they got a pretty good game plan going here. Right. But it, it just shows me that 
they may be on the side of those players are on the side of that press guy. Mm-hmm. Why would we want to play for you and you can't give this guy the money that you've been giving out? You know, and he's been the one, and he's been top five in passing yards and passing efficiency in the last two or three years. So you know, and and I and I get it. You know, like you said, John, he had. Hey, listen, he signed. It was a it was a great deal that was on the table. Yeah. But I think what happened was is that I think he was looking to be the highest paid quarterback uh, in the league. Yeah, there's no question that's Mahomes where yeah, he wanted Mahomes right? money. And when he wanted Mahomes money. And listen, it ain't too many quarterbacks in the league who deserve Mahomes money. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because that kid is something special. And speaking of Pat Mahomes, I don't know why he's not in a lot of folks MVP conversations. I mean he He's just been simply phenomenal this year. I think he's got 25 touchdowns and just one interception this year. Yeah. And he became the fastest player uh, in NFL history to reach 100 for a touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, guys, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, we'll, we'll kick back mm-hmm. to this topic next week uh, on the last three guys do a podcast. If our last remaining moments, uh, we want to devote to what has been happening. Of course, uh, yesterday, it the Joe Biden was formally, and Kamala Harris was formally uh, given, I don't know what the right word is, nominated for, to be president-elect. They called the election, and also today, 2020 got, got back on its main, uh, main yeah, viewpoint yeah. with the death of Alex Trebek. Uh, I'll, I'll, take a, I'll take crappy wow. years for 2000, please. Um, and yeah. it's kind of been a very interesting year, interesting 48 hours because president trump still has not conceded and he will not concede until all legal avenues have been exhausted and maybe not even then um but i just want to get what i just before we before we wrap it up i want to just get your guys's opinion on basically yesterday when kamala harris and joe biden made their acceptance speeches and basically it set off a huge amount of I would say jubilation, partying, people in the streets. What was, what is your what is how, what was your takeaway from this from that? Um, well, me personally, I as as an African American, Black American, mm-hmm. I'm not the least big fan of Joe Biden. I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't I don't like Joe Biden whatsoever. And I'm not I'm not I'm not a, you know I'm not saying that I'm pro Trump. I'm saying this personally. Joe Biden came up with that 94 crime bill that gave that three strikes law and that in, in that X amount of um, years to, you know, as far as with the crack cocaine and the powder cocaine and stuff. And Joe that's Biden's law. Joe Biden's a lifelong segregationist. I, I, I didn't vote. I wouldn't vote for him. And on top of that, as an African American, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself like, you know, voting is transactional. It's transactional. Okay, well, in order in order to get my vote. What are you willing to do for me? There's been several people that's put forth demands that the African American community is demanding out of Joe Biden. Hey, we have a big problem with police shooting black people and getting away with qualified immunity. We have a Grand Taylor situation going on in Louisville that has yet to be solved. We have a Derek Chauvin who put his neck on, who put his knee on the neck of a, of a man named George Floyd in Minnesota that this man is out on bail right now. Joe Biden has not even addressed any of that. 
So I'm like, you know, I'm looking at when, I, when I'm looking at black people, I'm like, why are we voting for this man? And I'm not saying vote for Trump. But I'm like, why are we voting? You know, why, why are we participating in the process that has ignored us? I mean, they, 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 I mean, it's the blatant, the blatant, just ignoring of certain of of, of that topic. It just, it really just stings me. And then the R word. There's been, you know, people have put forth, okay, cash reparations. Will there be cash? Will, will, will this generation um, of African Americans be able to reap the, you know saying, the, the benefits of our ancestors did during X amount of hundreds of years of child slavery? Joe Biden has yet to even announce that or come out here. So I'm kind of out on both of them. You know, I'm, I'm not really feeling Joe Biden. You know, and and just to get Trump out of office is not a strong enough reason for me to go off and participate in the political process. It's like, what are you doing for me? That's my take on that. So here's the here's the thing about that. I'm not going to sit here and say that you know Joe Biden was yeah Joe Biden did you know create that crime bill and uh, was part of it in 1994. I, I get that. However, this was more so about and what Donald Trump has to look at. Okay? Everything that you said, Leon, from COVID-19, the police brutality, all of this happened under Donald Trump's watch. Trump did really, did, what did Trump really do about anything? Did Trump really ever come out and say no, he didn't do you know, anything. what he said? He didn't do anything about it. I mean, like, all you ever heard was Trump tweeting mm-hmm. and being on his golf course. Yeah, That's all you really heard. Right. And when you look at this election, I'm pretty sure, listen, a lot of people would say that, okay, Joe Biden was not the, the most uh, popular Democratic vote, you know, that anybody would, would get. But he it's not like he's not the most experienced because he's right. been there. I mean, we put a guy in office who has no political experience and his his novice in in politics, it really reared his ugly face. And the worst part about it, and if you want my big takeaway on this, <coughs> my big takeaway is the way that Trump ran his campaign. Mm-hmm. He was he was going more so off of momentum and finger pointing versus everything that he did. Donald Trump left a lot of questions out there. What is your plan for health care? All you can say is that we have a really good health care plan. So what is it? I know it's GoFundMe. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Honestly, when that's you, what it is. When you leave when you leave the United States of America with questions, I don't think there's ever been a president that has done that. I mean, you know, we can we can go back in time and go back in history and say that there may have been some, but in my lifetime, there's never been any unanswered questions out there. And for four years, we've had that with Donald Trump. We just had a sitting president who wanted to exhaust his power. Mm-hmm. That's what, and, and that's what happened. And and to that particular point, even the Republican Party, most members of the Republican Party, has turned on him. Right. Even after he came out and said that this election was rigged. Yep. So now you're questioning our democracy. 
and you want to say it's rigged only because of the fact that you were not winning in the polls. Listen, I am not a fan of the Electoral College. Right. Okay, I'll be the first one to say that. I, I'm just not a fan of it. I think the popular vote, I think if you go out and vote, the popular vote should get you to win. But, listen, it's that the, the way it is to me is that Trump did not do this campaign correctly, and Biden did. Biden out-campaigned him. And really, Donald Trump has no one to blame but himself. Right. I will say congratulations to Joe Biden. Uh, congratulations to uh, Kamala Harris, first black woman to be nominated as vice president, first woman general to be nominated as vice president uh, to become to uh, become vice, vice president. president yeah. yeah. So that glass yeah, ceiling so has been irrevocably so, shattered. Exactly. So, you know, that's a good thing. And all we can do now is now now Joe Biden. All eyes are on you. Yeah, he's got to fix this. He's got he's got to fix this. Yeah. And. A lot of the and there are still forces that are arrayed against him, and I hate to say this, but as as long as Mitch McConnell runs the Senate, he's he's going to be absolutely no help. So I I don't know exactly Correct. what's going to happen, and it'll be interesting because once again, all eyes on uh will be on Georgia for the next two months because both those Senate Correct. elections are going to runoff. So we haven't heard the last of this, and it's going to be uh. Next two months is going to be more of the same, possibly even worse, and we just don't know what is all going to happen. Well, that's going to wrap us up here. Um, I want to thank Mike Holmes from Georgia State for joining us here on the last three guys to do a podcast. We will see you next week. I'm John Morgo for Leon Brown, Daniel Bolton. Appreciate all your listenership. And again, this episode will drop on Tuesday. So tune in and catch up on our back ep- on our back episodes over there on SoundCloud and uh, iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Breaker and all the others. Appreciate it. We'll see you in 7 days. Thank you very much. Have a good night.